Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. OutKick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Happy Friday to you coming up. We discuss Freddie Freeman's return to Atlanta with the L.A. Dodgers and his reaction at a press conference that just wrapped up. We've got that. We will also hit the headlines, including um, Edron James and a prediction for his son playing with Arch Manning. It's not at Texas. We say hello to Brent Hubbs, who covers UT, the University of Tennessee, for VolQuest.com. And we hit SEC headlines as well. We'll start with Arch. Brent, hope you're doing well, man. I am. I'm doing great. Hope you guys are. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll ask you the same thing I asked Bobby Carpenter earlier. Um, we, we know Texas and Oklahoma, they're coming to the SEC. But yesterday, Arch Manning selecting Texas felt like the Longhorns officially joined the South C- Southeastern Conference. I don't know your initial reaction to it, but what do you think about the decision for, from Arch Manning to select Texas over places like Alabama and Georgia? Well, it felt like it was an SEC move for Texas because, I mean, let's face it, that's the first family of SEC football at the quarterback position. Uh, The idea that a Manning is not playing in the SEC seems really foreign. Uh, What's interesting is if David Cutcliffe had not been at Ole Miss, I think Eli Manning would have played at Texas and not played in the SEC. Uh, But because David Cutcliffe was at uh, Ole Miss and, and Peyton's relationship with David and how much Archie and Olivia think of David, uh, that's why he ended up at Ole Miss. But, yeah, I mean, it feels like Arch Manning's supposed to be in the SEC, and, and obviously he will be when, when he's at Texas. I, I think the fact that Steve Sarkeesian is an offensive coach, the offensive head coach who's not going, who's planning on being there for a while, not that Nick Saban or Kirby Smart's leaving, but those are defensive guys, and their offensive coordinators are, you know, they may revolve down there. We know at Alabama they've had plenty who have come through. Now, they've all been successful, but they haven't had the same guy as their coordinator, and who knows how long Munkin's going to stay with Kirby Smart. He's getting paid well, but you never know when he might get a head coaching opportunity. Uh, So I think the idea that they were going to play for an offensive-minded head coach was important. Peyton played for Philip Fulmer, former offensive coordinator, former offensive line coach, and he played for David Cutcliffe, who's obviously his offensive coordinator. And then Eli goes to Ole Miss and plays for an offensive-minded head coach. And, And I think those things what uh, were probably important and something that they looked at in the recruiting process. And I, I, I'll get your take on this too, Brent. I, I don't feel as though this played a big factor, but this just feels better than a Manning on the back of a jersey at Alabama or at Georgia, personally. Like, if you just think through, like, he didn't burn Ole Miss or Tennessee by selecting Alabama or Georgia. He's going to Texas, and while he didn't select those schools... Texas feels pretty neutral right now, all things considered. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, when he didn't consider Ole Miss and he didn't consider Tennessee, uh, you certainly don't didn't want Tennessee fans and Ole Miss fans didn't want him playing uh, against a rival school in the league. And that's not to say that's not to slight Texas in any right. way, but um, that that was more of a neutral landing zone, if you will. That, that you're right, it didn't play a factor in the decision, in my opinion, but. Um, it, it probably made the pill a little easier to swallow in Oxford, Mississippi, and, and in Tennessee. And, and I'll give Arch and the Manning family credit that they never let they never let it drag on that that either one of those schools were, were going to be a factor for Arch Manning. And, and so I think because of that, 
that probably took a little sting out of it yesterday. But I know that there's a lot of people in the Grove and there's a lot of people on Rocky Top are going, at least he's not at Alabama or Georgia. Well, and look, you know, his that's his uncle is Peyton, but he never really considered Tennessee. So I understand some Tennessee fans say, well, wait a minute. Why didn't Tennessee even get in the mix here? Um, but I am shocked at the lack of negative response to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss in this. You, you just said it. He wanted to play for an offensive-minded head coach. Here is your offensive-minded head coach at both your dad, your uncle Eli, and your granddad's alma mater. And Ole Miss didn't have a shot in this, it, it felt like, when it came down to the final three. Why are more people not talking about the failures of Lane Kiffin in this recruitment of Arch Manning? Well, I think because they were never, you know, if you're an old, if you're an Ole Miss fan and you're a Lane Kiffin fan, your response is Arch never gave him a chance. So how's that Lane Kiffin's fault if Arch wouldn't even come to campus and talk to him and see him? So Lane Kiffin didn't do anything wrong, much the same way with Tennessee, never gave him a chance. And so I think because of the way he went about that, it took some of the sting away um, for the fans. Uh, it took any it took the negative backlash away from the Manning family. And quite frankly, it doesn't put any pain or, or any backlash on Lane Kiffin or Josh Heupel because the kid never gave him a chance. He, he never let him in the door to, to recruit him. And that's obviously his decision. I'm not being critical of that. But I think because of that, Ole Miss fans who are all in for Lane, even though everybody knows Lane would like to get out of Oxford, they're like, hey, he didn't give us a chance. That's his loss because we got the best head coach around, right? And so I think that's why you don't see uh, a, a real negative backlash or, or whatever to, to for Lane Kiffin, Arch Manning, or anybody from the Ole Miss standpoint. I know you guys at VolQuest you broke the news about uh, the expanded plan for Neyland Stadium with an expanded budget now for Danny White and what's happening with construction and the renovation of Neyland Stadium. Brent, if you can, kind of walk us through what changes are being made and how the changes to the changes came about. <laughs> well, the expanded budget is to, is to handle cost as much as anything right now because this project they're in the middle of with, with the club seats and with the video board in the north end you know, the, the price of material and the price of labor is continuing to rise. And so part of the expanded budget is just to handle cost. Danny White made it clear when I sat down and talked with him back in May and we talked about facilities, he does not want to stop with the renovations in Neyland Stadium. And what he means by that is he wants to do something every year. What exactly that is, we'll have to see. Okay, you can't bite off more than you can chew in a in a nine-month period to, to get done before you play football again. But but he does not want to do this project and then take four years off to raise money and then start another project. He wants the projects on the book with the state. He wants the state bonding issue handled, and he wants to move forward with something next year. What that something is, it remains to be seen. I think that's something they are trying to um, finalize and want to finalize here in the coming months. Now, they laid out strategies, South Concourse, East Concourse. Uh, I know Wi-Fi is at the top of the list. Wi-Fi is not on this current project that's being done right now. That will be something that will be done next year. But in terms of, of what the major brick-and-mortar construction is next year, uh, we'll see. I know he wants to do the super suites because that's premium seating that's going to put more money back into renovation. So, I think what you'll see from a uh, what gets done next will be something that can bring more money back into the, the stadium. 
So it'll be some kind of premium seating in, in some capacity. We'll just have to wait and see what they finalize to, to see what the next phase is. But he does not want to stop really over the next three to five years with renovations in the offseason to the stadium. What's capacity after all of this? Uh, it, it, it's They announced it at 101-something. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to sit in there and count. So I, I don't know if there's a – I don't know that there's 101,000 places to put your rear end. Uh, I don't think there is. I don't think there was 102,455, which I'm convinced maybe it's been a number that Butch Jones thought rolled off the tongue real well uh, <laughs> when, he, when he came up with that number as a part of, a, of, of his marketing strategy. Um, so, uh, you know, what the number really is and what the number really has been for a while is up for debate. Uh, and up for, you know, a lot of people to suggest. But Tennessee announced it a little over 101. Uh, they lost seats, uh, Paul, in, in, you know, in, in the north end when they put the Jumbotron in, they lost some seats there. Now they gained some of those back by those standing room only seats. And then when you go to a chairback seat in the new uh, west side clubs, they're probably not 18 inches wide like those bleachers were that you had to put your – you had to try to squeeze in there. So that, that's where you lose some seats and drop it down from 102.455. It didn't roll off my tongue as well, down to, to 101, a little over 101. So we've seen some other schools with head coaches and athletic departments push donations to collectives. Ohio State has done this, among others. Tennessee has remained silent from a university, athletic department, football program, basketball program uh, side of this as it pertains to Spire, the collective w- with Tennessee. Brent, do you think that's because of the what is still technically an ongoing NCAA investigation? Do you foresee Tennessee and Danny White at some time in the near future, if things with the NCAA goes away, pushing fans to donate to Spire or other collectives? Yeah, I, I think that Look, Danny White's on record again with, with comments that he gave to me that, that he was comfortable with Spire, that they had a good partnership. Uh, I know Spire and the university meet on a regular basis. So the idea that they've been cut off and nobody talks to them is not fair or is not accurate. Uh, but you're right. Josh Heupel and uh, Tony Vitello and, and other coaches on Tennessee's campus have not come out and pu- publicly solicited Donating, donating to um, a collective, whether it's Spire or any other collective out there. And I think that, that the reason for that is because of uh, the, the notice of allegations from the NCAA has not come yet. That That's not done. Um, and obviously the Nico thing was very high profile, um, which generated a lot of eyeballs on Tennessee and a lot of eyeballs on Spire. Um, so I, I think at this point that's kind of why Tennessee has been silent. Now my question is this. Notice of allegations doesn't end an investigation. That really kind of starts it, starts it, to be honest with you, because you get your notice of allegations from the NCAA, uh, and then you have to go and you respond to them, and then you go get your punishment. And, and that's a, you know, ask Kansas, ask LSU. That is a lengthy, lengthy process. Uh, it is not something that gets done in short order. So how long can, can Tennessee uh, in, in the arms race that is the SEC go without publicly – endorsing someone and publicly soliciting funds by their coaches uh, into the NIL campaigns for current student athletes? That's a great question. I mean, Ryan Day is doing meet and greets and, and he's doing 
you know, exclusive Q and A's with members of their collective. And, and, you know, he's all in, he's also on record saying he needs $13 million a year to run his football program. So uh, we'll see how long Tennessee will remain patient with this and, and go about it in this capacity. But I do not anticipate Josh Heupel anytime in the next few months standing up and, and saying publicly, hey, donate to Spire. Brent, were you surprised to see Kennedy Chandler go in the second round last night? And is it fair to question Chandler and think, man, he could have made a good bit of money to come back to Tennessee for one more year, probably more than he'll make in the G League if he was going to be a second-round pick? Well, I think, you know, he wasn't going to hurt it. If he stayed healthy, he wasn't going to hurt his stock by coming back for another year because – um, his his shot was going to get better. His ability to finish at the rim would be better. The ability to get you know getting stronger, those types of things would would have gotten better. Um, his lack of height hurt him. His free throw shooting. Um, he needed to tighten up his ball skills. There are certainly things he could work on. Um, I know some people felt like he was not going to be a first round pick. Uh, then there were a lot of people who felt like he would go late in the first round. So, um. Could he have helped himself if he'd have come back? Yeah. Does, does Kennedy Chandler feel that way today? Not based on his tweet, you know. He said the feedback he got from everybody was that he wasn't tall enough and that he wasn't going to get any taller by, by coming back to Tennessee for another year. Uh, but but there's no doubt if he stayed healthy, his stock would be it would be higher a year from now than where it was right where it was last night when the draft took place. There's a tie-in with Kennedy Chandler to a player that Rick Barnes and Tennessee's currently recruiting in five-star small forward from Philly, Justin Edwards, in that Rick Barnes doesn't often get overly personally involved in a single player's recruitment the way he did with Kennedy Chandler. And Brent, is he getting that personally involved now in the recruitment of Justin Edwards, this five-star player out of Philadelphia? Yeah, he is. I mean, he's been to see him play a whole lot. Um, and, you know, he, he's – in. in constant communication or a lot of communication with him. I think Justin wanted to be recruited that way. I think the head coach relationship was really important. I think Rick Barnes and him hit it off well um, early on. And, and I think there's a lot of comfort there. And I think they've had a lot of good conversations and uh, you know, Tennessee's obviously deep in that one and, and it's because of Rick Barnes. And, and I think Tennessee will be there till the finish line. Um you know, Rick Barnes recruits. I don't want to suggest that he doesn't recruit, but you know, there are sometimes with guys that that he's not, you know, disinvested in, uh, particularly early on in their recruitment. But where this recruitment recruitment has gotten to, uh, Rick Barnes is very involved. He's been on the road a bunch to see him. He did the same thing with Josiah. He went and saw Josiah Jordan James quite a bit as well. Um, so we've seen it some, but this is a guy that Rick Barnes obviously likes. Feels like he's very important to their program. He is their number one target on the board, and um, he's doing everything he can to try to land him. Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com with us. I I know uh, Hendon Hooker is at the Manning Passing Academy. Is Nico there by chance? Uh, Nico's in Knoxville uh, for an official visit this weekend, and I do not think he's going to the the Manning Passing Academy. Um, I don't know that, but I've not heard that that he's going and, and being a part of that. Um, so, uh, to my knowledge, no. And, uh, the official visit, is that as much as just a reassurance or is, uh, is this helping personally recruit other guys who may be in town? Yeah. I mean, I think it's more about having him in town here for, 
Nathan Laycock, who is a wide receiver from North Carolina that's in town for an official visit that um, got to know Nico a good bit at uh, the recent 7-on-7 tournament out in Las Vegas. Uh, I think it was to have him in town for um, Francis uh, Malagoa, who is the offensive lineman from American Samoa that Nico's family knows well. Um, and, and I think, you know, Francis's family's in town, Nico's family's in town, and I think that's obviously by design. Uh, Nico was in town when Francis made an unofficial visit without his parents um, a month ago, and, and now the whole family's in town for both Nico and for Francis to spend the weekend together. And I, I think that was a big part of that is is trying to land Francis. He's an offensive tackle from IMG Academy, and uh, he is tops to me. He's the top priority on Tennessee's offensive board right now uh, because you want to protect you want protection help. And he's a guy that knows Nico, and, and the two have a good relationship with each other. So getting both of them in the boat would certainly be a nice thing for Tennessee. Chad, based on those details, it's it's hard to screw up that visit. Uh, you would think so, but there was a lot of optimism around Carnell Tate also uh, from IMG Academy. Brent, how big of a blow was Carnell Tate for Tennessee when he decided this week to go to Ohio State? Well, it was tough. I mean, you know, he's a five-star receiver, talented player. Um, he had, you know, he, he knows Nico. He's always liked Ohio State. He liked Ohio State before Tennessee ever got involved with him. Um, and, and so Cody Burns, Tennessee's former uh, wide receivers coach, who's now with the Saints, did a good job creating a relationship there. When he left, a lot of people thought Tennessee might be out. Kelsey Pope did a good job picking that one up and moving forward. Uh, we know NIL was going to be and is a factor there. That's something that was important to Carnell Tate. Uh, I think Ohio State changed their NIL game. Uh, interesting, Ryan Day asked for $13 million from his donor base, you know, because he needs that for his football roster and for recruiting, uh, for NIL deals moving forward, for incoming players and things of that nature. So uh, I think once Ohio State's NIL um, opportunities once he got to, to Columbus were similar to what Tennessee's opportunities were once he got to Knoxville. Um, I, I think he went back to where his heart was. And we've talked about this. You know, Lane Kiffin has come out and said, every kid's going to make a decision based on NIL. I don't buy that. Uh, when, when the numbers are very comparable, um, the kid's going to go with his heart. He's going to go with his gut. And I think he's always – I think – Carnell has always liked Ohio State. But, yeah, that was a blow to Tennessee, not not to get him. Um, but Tennessee's moving on. Uh, Nathan Laycock, I don't sweat the receiver position as bad uh, in terms of if they miss out on somebody there simply because Josh Heupel's offense has always produced really good receivers. Even guys you never heard of were very productive. Guys who are not very highly decorated, highly recruited, were very productive, whether it was at Oklahoma whether it was at Missouri, Central Florida, and obviously what we saw out of Cedric Tillman a year ago. Now, you got to have talent. I'm not suggesting that you can just go out and get any Tom, Dick, and Harry off the street and turn him into a 1,000-yard receiver. But I think this scheme lends for receiver success if a guy can run, and, and I think there's a good number of those guys out there. Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com, with complete coverage of all things Tennessee athletics, SEC topics on the board as well. Uh, Brent? Thank you as always, man. We appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Good to see you. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Have a Brent. good one. There he is. Brent Hubs at Brent underscore Hubs. I'd say 
I think on behalf of him, I'd say follow him, but he never tweets. Yeah. Uh, he uses it for uh, VolQuest promotion, so you can just follow VolQuest. Yeah, I, follow Austin Price. You know, we'll, Aust- just, we'll yeah. say that. Vol- at, Austin tweets a lot. Austin Priceless is who you should follow. You can follow Brent Hubs at Austin Priceless. Yeah, I accidentally tweeted Austin was joining us, and Davey texted me thinking, I think, that I don't know the difference between the two as opposed to I oh, he's typ- probably right. typoed it. Well, and also, I mean, to be fair, It'll be Austin that'll be tweeting, so it's fine yeah. just to, yeah. to Either way, Austin the retweeted it immediately. Yeah. Austin uh, took the credit. When's the last time Austin joined us? Austin's Austin is, got long summers. He's big into uh, like teasing his public. Uh, he loves yeah. taking little photos of like the bottom third of a sign at a restaurant yeah. and like putting eyeballs up there, like getting people to guess where he is. <laughs> he's trying to be Lincoln. He uh, yesterday like he, he posted a, a interstate photo. With traffic cones. He's like, where am I? Eyeball emojis all over and, the place. And he thinks everyone all around is like, where is he? Well, they are because he's you going to, to cover recruiting. Yeah. So he knows Tennessee fans are going to start drooling, thinking where he is because someone's about to commit to Tennessee. It's the same concept that Kiffin uses whenever he just oh, tweets out the Oh, I mean, the amount the of people that respond to that looks like I-24 right outside of Murfreesboro. <laughs> he's going to Oakland. Tennessee's going to nail this kid right now. They're not going to nail him, but... They're going to nail him in terms of getting him to see school. see where your mind goes. Yeah. They're going to get him in school. Trying to pull That's the Barkley over here. Yeah. They're going to get him in school. Coming up, gonna get him. Freddie Freeman, if he stops crying, very will play tonight as the Dodgers take on the Braves. We'll explain the emotional press conference and the red carpet that the Braves have laid out for him in his return to Atlanta. That's next in Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Edron James has a prediction that his son's going to play with Arch Manning in the league. It's kind of silly. Like, they're 32 teams. It reminds me of of Penny Hardaway and the predictions that he's had about coaching players that he, in the NBA, that he coached in the high school level that would follow him to Memphis. This was back whenever he was a high school coach in, in Tennessee. And uh, it's very hard to pull off. But if, if we did have the Manning-James combo at some point, that'd be pretty cool. And um, where's Edge's kid? I mean, Edge's kid isn't uh, a guarantee. No, he's, he's, not, he's not on the Arch Manning status. But uh, if you're son of a Hall of Famer, you're getting looks from certain programs. He's playing at Probably Howard. Oh, he's Howard. going to Howard, and he had offers from like Air Force – uh, Indiana was his biggest offer that I saw. I would have looked up his offer. He was a three-star player. But I think Indiana was the biggest offer that he received. He, he, uh, he finished high school early so that he could enroll at Howard for the spring semester. And he drew rave reviews for his performance in Howard's spring game, which I put a lot of stock into. Well, I don't doubt the son of Edron James can play football one bit, by the way. So um, oh, I, I'm sure he's a good football player, but if he was uh, Arch Manning level football player, he'd be playing somewhere bigger than Howard. Well, the diff- Well, true, uh, but the the difference will be uh, whenever he is an undrafted free agent and signs wherever Arch goes, then Edron can say, "Yeah, they, <laughs> they were too much. They were my <laughs> look. My prophecy came true." Um, speaking of offers, the Braves made a strong offer to Freddie Freeman which he would not sign an extension at the time, a year and a half ago. Game a free agent, ends up in Los Angeles, overplayed his hand, doesn't get the deal that he wanted in Atlanta, anywhere close to what he ends up signing for in, in L.A. 
And he officially returns to Atlanta tonight um, as a Dodger after winning the World Series with the Braves a year ago. And Chad, you were watching the press conference and the media availability he had today in, in Georgia. It is uh, emotional is an understatement. He, he was like uh, Jaden Ivey uh, last night who just couldn't stop crying um, with uh, just thinking about the, the memories of all everything with Atlanta. And it took him a while to even sit down at the podium. Yeah, this is uh, courtesy of Maria Martin, who's a reporter in Atlanta, is actually married to one of my friends from Mount Juliet. Uh, actually played ball with his older brother growing up, to, to Levi Brown, former Troy quarterback and Buffalo Bills quarterback. Yeah. But um, so Maria posted this video. This is not a press conference. This is like a visit to the cry room uh, that you look at. And I love Freddie Freeman. Get it together. I uh, loved him as a player. He is an emotional guy. I, I can't help but watch this and think, two very strong things about this video. And there's another one that you're going to see if you're watching right now too, where he is actually pacing before the press conference because he can't bring himself to say words. He's crying so much before the press conference begins. Um, Two things. One, I feel great if I'm a Brave or a Braves fan when I see that. Like, man, we really had an impact on this guy. In the 15 years he was oh, here, I thought you meant like. And uh, if you're a Braves player, take the money line. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> maybe. I mean, he's he's one guy. Like you know, their pitcher could be lights out and it's over. So he is one position player. But um, if he was pitching tonight, I'd definitely take the money line. Two, how do you feel if you're the Dodgers? Isn't this a little uh, over the top? Three, you could have stayed for a better offer. This is a guy. Well, he he. Here's the problem. He wanted there to stay. Chipper Jones. Yeah, here's, here's pacing Freddie right now, if you're watching. He wanted to stay. This has been documented by Chipper Jones. His agent, I'm sure, was pushing him to hold out for more, hold out for more, hold out for more. Around the All-Star break last year, Alex Antopoulos and the Braves came back and said, this is the final offer. We're not going above this. This is what we've reached. And he talked to Chipper Jones, and Chipper said... If you want to stay a Brave, this is really good money. Take this offer and stay because he said, I know Alex, and if you don't sign this offer, he is going to go and find an alternative. And he did that. He signed Matt Olson. So I think Freddie Freeman thought to the last second that he was going to sign, that they were going to come up with something or something was going to happen. He had to go sign somewhere else after the Braves acquired, traded for Matt Olson and signed him. To play first base, so naive. I don't know if it's naive, Paul, as much as Freddie Freeman is on. Probably we hate, we love Mount Rushmores on the show, but of Braves players, he may be on the Mount Rushmore of all time Braves. So he didn't think they'd replace. He's that good, so he he overplayed his hand. Well, that's a little naive. Yeah. Well, we could be saying that too about Aaron Judge if he ends up having a very average year after turning down the money with the Yankees, but he's he's he's, doing. he's doing the opposite. Um, by the way, Freeman is hitting nearly 500 over his last seven games, but over his last 30 games, uh, his average is 282. What's Olsen doing? Olsen's been on fire lately. Same I don't, as I don't have his numbers in front of me, but he's been on a tear. The Braves are like 18 and three, I think, in the last 21, and he's been very good in that stretch. Uh, Freddie Freeman also went yard on the first pitch he saw from the Braves at Dodger Stadium this year. This makes me like matchup. him far less. 
Oh, I, I far less. I see. This is this is immediately what I think. Um, so, the emotion attached to the return tells you how how much playing there meant to him. But also, I think it describes the emotion and vitriol behind the Braves at the time signing Matt Olson and moving on from Freddie. Right? Like, there's there's this. It hurt. Chad's right. Like there, there, there are only a handful of players that you, with, without a shadow of a doubt, if they just sign the contract, they go down as an all-time great. No matter what happens over the duration of the next contract, for what they meant to get to that point, you know, like, um, I, I look at this and think, what could have been? Because he, he ends up being, if he ends up being a lifer in Atlanta, you, or, hate, you hate this too, though. Well, if you crack during this or have a slow start and say this is hard for me, that's one thing. But that goes on and on and on, and he can't <laughs> gather himself. It's, well, is, I, here, here's now, the look, thing. It, it's, all, it's also kind of like to, to, a slight defense of him, and I don't love it either. But uh, crying at times is kind of like sweating. Like when you start sweating, sometimes you don't stop for a while. And I think if you get choked up, it can be hard to regain yourself. Crying like this is for this. a funeral. <laughs> well, it that, is a funeral. An unexpected death. An unexpected well, again, death. I'm not, I'm not describing the crying. Uh, the emotions behind it, though, tells you what he was saying. It was very genuine a year ago in regards well, to the city. I didn't doubt him then. The love for him and the city is, no, uh, is unquestioned He's going to well. get a huge ovation. Um, what I hate, Chad, is the way the Braves have handled this. Not Freddie Freeman. Um, you told me uh, based on some uh, a tweet well, or something uh, that they've given him his old parking spot. Like so, I, I told you during the break, that car should be on blocks when he gets back out to that car. So, a couple things here that I've just this is following Braves Twitter here. People that report on the team. He also said on his drive in. I guess he's got a car there, or he's driven from the team hotel. On his drive in or his way into the ballpark today, he saw seventeen Braves Freddie Freeman jerseys. But who's counting? Exactly. So. He was very specific about the number 17. And he said the parking lot attendant, the parking lot attendant for the Braves that he knows, met him at the gate and escorted him to his old parking spot. Now, if and I'm a guy who has that spot. parking spot now, I would have been like, what the hell? I'm on this team <laughs> what if now. It's Matt He's Olson not. That has. Yeah. And the guy said, hey, I'm going to save this spot for Freddie Freeman today. I would have said, why? What if Matt Olson double parks Freddie Freeman because he's in his spot? He just goes right up to his bumper and parks right behind him, and then he can't get out? Yeah. And the takes an Uber the night, home The Dodgers you know, trying to get out of the park, uh, and the Freddie only Freeman can't way, leave. Take an Uber Because Matt tonight. Olson's parked right behind him? The only way I respect this is if this is the long play to get in his head even more. And like the, the emotions came out after he parks in his old spot. I mean, they're going to let him get dressed in his old locker? For the game, uh, yeah. I, here's, on, your old acting, here's your old jock strap. Based on the way he's acting, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if he's going to be able to play. Well, he I, he's, I agree. He's, Emotional scratch after the seven minute <laughs> delay for the press conference because of his emotions. He said it's going to be even more emotional when they give him the ring right before the game. Oh, God. They're going to do a ring presentation for his World Series ring. Then he's got a bat in the first no, inning. No, no. He better he's about second, him, he's better about him third fourth hitter. and hope one, two, three inning. I mean, how? <laughs> so he can compose himself. Mm-hmm. I, I guess when you get out there and play, it's going to be different. I don't know. You know, when he goes through his routine of getting an on-deck circle and everything, but it's going to be a huge ovation that he's going to step out and give the, you know, tip the cap to the fans, and he's going to start crying again. Like a water fountain. Can you imagine if they go high and tight for <laughs> <sprinkler. laughs> 
your your mind works similar to mine, and that's evil at times. And I keep thinking, like, what if the Braves just played beanball with Freddie Freeman to start the game? Unless this is the uh, total long the the long con of just trying to to tear at any emotion possible. Because he's been on a tear at the plate. The Dodgers will play like a crying baby on the screen. The Dodgers also are incredible. Like the Yankees from a top-down roster. I mean, if if the the baseball doesn't work out this way, but if the two best teams in the game were to play in the World Series, it is a bi-coastal Dodgers-Yankees World Series right now. But again, that's not always how baseball works out. I also, like, I, I don't. I don't like, you know, all the the sobbing here, Chad. You're you are correct on that. What I do like, what I'm conflicted on personally is, I do appreciate the fact that a, a player actually cares. Yeah. Um, Aaron Judge, if he leads New York, is not going to really care. He's going to take the money, but he's not leaving New York. Um, they won't. They're going to play this way different. But I, I'm conflicted simply because in a day and age where guys are all over the place and they don't really care where they are uh, unless they're in the moment. I, uh, I appreciate the fact that the guy, you know, liked where he was playing and, and realizes he, you can tell he, I, he, I love he, it. he feels as it's, though he made the wrong choice. It's what you, you based want. On the reaction. Yes. And it's what you want your, and it's crazy too. Cause he's from LA. That's where he grew up. You know, Atlanta's been his professional home, but he's from LA. He's going to cry when he gets back to I, LA. Cause he likes it. So honest much. question though. How many people care that much? about a place they're at right now in baseball or in the past. Did Albert Pujols ball for 15 minutes when he came back to St. No, Louis? I think he likes it angel? a lot in St. Louis. I think he can handle returning without weeping well, he came for ba- he's 25 minutes. He's back now, minutes. right, or he was yes. recently. But I'm saying when he came back as an angel, I need to go back He got through, a big ovation. I need to go back to the annals of returns of baseball players to cities they spent more than a decade and were great players. To see what the emotion was like. He got a huge ovation. The the catcher stepped out and walked in front of the plate and dilly-dallied, so the ovation was big, and he didn't cry for 10 minutes. I just saw a tweet from the comeback. MLB World reacts to Freddie Freeman's emotional return to Atlanta. Now I'm clicking on this to see what has been tweeted and what's been said. The Dodgers, by the way, are, are a lot like the Yankees if you think it's a lot like them to be nine games worse. Well, from a roster standpoint, I'm saying they're very similar. Um, Chad, what were the what What did he actually say? Did he well, actually he choke compose out many sentences words. in this? He said, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it looks like. <laughs> I mean, Excuse me, I gotta go pace. <laughs> uh, oh, I, he's. <laughs> <laughs> Has a millionaire ever cried this much? Uh, not since an acting job. Yeah, Those millionaires cry all the time on command <laughs> for money. They cry that much. He said, so all I've seen quote-wise, he talked about the parking lot attendant. He told that story. <laughs> um, that, was a, that was a big story. That was act one. Uh, everything I, I just I, I, in my mind I'm thinking of everything the Braves are doing and then they're going to throw high I'm, and tight. I'm looking at this story because it's just a bunch of people tweeting. They're going to get as as emotionally drained as possible and they just go straight head hunting. He said, "I miss you, Jenny." <laughs> the Forrest Gump crying scene. Uh, he uh, Stacy Wheeler says, "Guess it affected him more than I thought." <laughs> we know who Stacy Wheeler is. He also did the, uh, the story. Mystic River scene. Is that my daughter? Is that my daughter, Sean? 
that yep. my daughter, Sean. Is it Sean that he's yelling at? I think that's Kevin Bacon's character. Um, uh, yeah, th- the only thing that I saw that he said was, how do you close this chapter? Or how difficult is it to close this chapter? And he started crying through his answer again. But he said, I haven't closed anything. I will never close this place off. It's, it's closed. There, there's 70 games into the season. Again, how do you feel if you're the Dodgers? <laughs> that's the one that's the awkward one to me now. Like his teammates are the Dodgers. Like, you man. Say, hey, you collecting those paychecks or no? I, I get it. You're going to be all right. <laughs> hey, bub, you're going to be all right to play first base for us tonight? <laughs> or do I need to step in? So he, uh, just for those that want to follow the emotional return, I mean, how, um, what's he like tomorrow, too? Like, spent. How, oh, he's spent fine. tomorrow. Yeah. He's spent. Uh, he probably needs a day. Off. Okay, so the, day here's the final, final. So they play uh, 720, 715, and 708 um, each of the next three <laughs> you nights. Have three different so they're times. on Sunday Night Baseball. Sunday Night Baseball, yep. So it'll be on ESPN Sunday. Chad, your prediction of the Freddie Freeman performance, the production at the plate. I think you'll do I think you'll do Freddie Freeman things. So first at bat earlier this season in LA, you know. Home run. Yeah, it went deep. I think it was it was the first or second pitch that he saw was a home run. I remember watching that bat live when it happened. Um I think he'll go deep at least once. All right, this so weekend. when he when he goes yard, what's the reaction like in the stadium? Oh, standing ovation. I mean, they'll, can go, you imagine? they'll go crazy. They'll all cry. They'll all cry. Can you imagine the reaction now? If he goes as, deep and he starts rounding the base? As a Braves fan, if it's like electric applause, oh, it'll be crazy. then I am really pissed <laughs> at whoever's there. What are the odds? There, there are decent odds. Uh, they fire, uh, Jared they, Stillman, who I'm about to go on his radio show, is going to be there tonight, and he's an emotional Braves fan. I'll, they, I'll have to ask him if he's going to cry. If, or if he's going to cheer or oh, boo. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Uh, if Freddie Freeman goes deep, I hope you don't cheer. I'll I, hurt I, you. I, I, I don't think the response is to boo him at any point, even if it's a homer. But if he hits a homer, don't, just don't cheer if you're a Braves fan. I'll let you. That's I mean, the other team. If you give him his parking spot, are they going to fire off fireworks for him if he hits a homer? What are they playing? They're going to upgrade the car. What, yeah. I, whatever his song was when they hit a home run, what if they start playing that? They fired up like Wild Thing in fireworks. the Major League movies? Just to get it going again, I hope none of those things happen, uh, and I hope as a Brace fan, I hope he has a terrible weekend at the plate. Yeah, but I think he'll continue. I think once the baseball starts, he will focus in and be fine, and he'll hit like Freddie Freeman. He's going to hit a grand slam tonight that gives them a lead, and the place is going to go berserk. I hope not. I hope the, I hope they throw back the baseball. Whoever catches it, if he hits a grand oh, slam, they're going to sell that baseball for thousands of dollars. Maybe the parking lot to each other. Will get it. I'm just excited to uh, be interested in a Major League Baseball game over the weekend. Uh, not excited about the Stanley Cup final matchup tonight because I think it ends tonight as Colorado hosts Tampa Bay, unfortunately. Um, but we got the Stanley Cup final and the Braves on, on TV. I'll be tuned in if I have a choice of Freddie Freeman at the plate. One of the things that helped Texas with Arch Manning wasn't that big of a deal. Well, We'll explain specifically what that is coming up on Outkick 360. I just realized the the Hornets last night conducted a draft. They didn't even have a head coach. Outkick 360 rolls on. No They've named one, like the fourth or fifth option. Well, Kenny Atkinson turned him down yeah. to stay an assistant coach in Golden State, right? Wow. One of their former assistants, I think, has returned to, to coach them. Um, 
Steve Clifford. Michael Jordan runs a top-notch organization. <laughs> well, the way they've handled it, they don't even I get to – I love Michael Jordan, but, man, no, it's not even get to. Well. But the weird thing is you don't even talk to MJ until the, the <laughs> After group, you get the job. No, the group, like, finalizes who they want to hire, and then they set up a meeting with Jordan. And that's how they set that up with the, the Warriors assistant. And then after the meeting, he turned them down. You can't say he's two hands on. Well, it's almost like Jordan knows it's a failure of an operation, and to distance himself from that failure, he just doesn't stay that involved with it. It's like, it's I'm, not, I'm not going to put my fingerprints all over what's going on here. <laughs> it's Even hard though to distance it's my yourself, team. yeah, when you own it. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. Isn't that stance. odd, though? Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're him. Like, but it's like if we're not doing well, I can always fall back on, well, I didn't really care about that. Yeah, it's, it's not it. your average owner. Uh, it's a, the greatest player uh, with a chance to hire a coach, and they end up with Steve Clifford. Uh, Outkick 360 rolls on. Paul, the the one aspect, one of the things that helped Texas with land, land Arch Manning, you say is not that big of a deal? Well, uh, the Athletic did a, a – story you know where they tried to detail how um texas built relationships with arch to to get this thing off the ground that ultimately helped them land him but you know you're going to lead with a, a good detail in this story that makes you think oh you know well here it goes well they lead with the fact that quarterback coach 36 year old aj milway um had a workaround you know during the six week spring evaluation period where coaches could be around he showed up really early at isidore newman school in new orleans he would arrive at the weight room before anybody else he'd even beat manning's coach nelson stewart there nelson stewart said when aj came down this spring two times he turned the lights on in the weight room that's how early he got there this is a big I like i mean that's the key to getting arch manning is showing up at isidore newman before <laughs> anybody else shows up there I can't believe, A, that there aren't 10 coaches there at 4 o'clock in the morning waiting for he and his coach. But, B, like, that's a workaround? Yeah, that's, I'm un- thoroughly unimpressed yeah, by that yeah. being Getting there some early kind of, is, is kind of expected. That's, like, that's your average recruiting story, honestly. Yeah. There's no doubt that the I, relationship I, of the quarterback coach and Manning yeah. well, see, was, I, is I a hear that. I hear that, though, and I think that's, that's just someone who's trying <clears throat> to articulate – how hard someone worked in the recruiting process and the relationship they built without a great anecdote to share. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So fall back on, I mean, he was but there really early to nothing. turn the lights on. It's not a big deal. No. I mean, plenty of coaches are doing that to chase plenty of recruits all the time who are not Archman. It is, it is interesting to see how they – Sarkeesian is starting to build his roster there like you would go in and completely – uh, start to rebuild an NFL franchise. A lot of linemen. He has started up front in the trenches in last year's recruiting class. And this year has been about wide receivers and quarterback, both in the transfer portal and by landing landing Manning um, for for next year's crop. It's uh, it's an interesting – he, he had the fifth-rated recruiting class last year. And I, he just focused on linemen. I get the people that they're talking about he's worked with quarterback-wise, Linert – um, he's with Matt Ryan for a little bit. Who am I for, forgetting? But Carson Palmer was his first one. Um, yeah, but he's also not been the guy in charge of those Tua, quarterbacks. I mean, he's, right. Um, he uh, called play. He was the offensive coordinator. It's, it's selective in that he was quarterback coach starting out for Carson Palmer. 
and Matt Leiner, and then became offensive coordinator for other guys, like Mark Sanchez was one that, that went to the NFL. He also played the position. But then for Tua, he was his offensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, he was around those guys and coached them. And then Which it just is a hits good me thing, as we but it's not NFL. been the guy. It hits me. They, they focused on Lyman last year, and didn't Texas hand out $50,000 to every lineman through a nonprofit? Every offensive lineman. Oh, uh, yes, yes. That really helps your quarterback as well. I believe it's the Cattlemen Society. They're paid well. Back at it on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks. Don't forget about Brittany Griner.